Hello, and welcome to episode 9 of the Counterforce podcast. I'm your host, Aug Stone. I'm very excited because this is the first band interview I've done for the show, and I've loved them for decades now. We were just listening to their Getting Faster from the Blue Eyes Deceiving Me EP on Sarah Records, and it's such an exciting song. It's so catchy. It's even as we speak. I spoke with them while they were in the studio in Sydney working on a new record, and they were a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. Mary kept pulling faces while the others were talking, which was hilarious. We lost Julian pretty much right away as he was engineering the sessions, and then Rob left about two-thirds of the way through, but Matt and Mary are here the whole time. We talk about their association with such great labels as Phantom Records and Sarah, and now being on Emotional Response. I got some history of the songs, and they talked about their approach to experimentation, which has made for some really lovely pop music over the years, in an array of different styles. And we also talked about their UK tour this summer with Sarah Records compatriots Boy Racer, Secret Shine, and Action Painting. So without further ado... So this is my first multiplayer podcast, so if everybody could introduce themselves. Hi, we're even as we speak. Mary's here. I'm Rob. Hi. Julian. Julian's at the mixing desk, and Anita's out playing drums, so we'll get her to come in and say hello in a minute. Uh, Hi, this is Matt. You got me? Good. Where, Where are you? I'm in Nashville. Nashville. I've been to Nashville. What were you doing in Nashville? Uh, well, actually, my son and I drove across the states from LA to New York via the southern states, and then up through Nashville. Um, and we went to we went to some pub, pub, and there was line dancing happening. Anyway, that's what I remember from yeah. being there. <laughs> uh, Robin and Anita and I we drove through part of um, Tennessee in 1990 or something. 91. Yeah, 91. 91. Um, it looked very green. Yeah, but we didn't get to Nashville. We were sort of just, um, I think we just managed to cut through the corner of it so we could say we could be in um, Tennessee. But we were actually on our way to Texas. Yeah, we, we made were, a detour. We were doing the song tour of the East Coast. Yeah. So again, mentioned in songs like Baton Rouge and places like that. And Galveston. Galveston, Galveston. Yeah. And then by the time we got about halfway through, we realised that all these songs were about getting out of the town. <laughs> What are your impressions of the States? Yeah, we always, every time we've, we've been through the States, we've always had a great time. The, the people there are fantastic. They're just, they're just so friendly. Yeah. Uh, so we, we actually went wonderful. through the States a lot um, on our way to the UK when we used to go to the UK in the early 90s. I think you're united or something. No, no, it was just because when you went via the States, there was um, a higher luggage allowance. Oh, because right. the American Airlines, and so we had all this gear, and so if we flew direct with Qantas or one of those, then we couldn't take as much gear. So we always flew via the states. I think the first time we went via LA, and um, which was great because you know you see on television all these mugging. You can no, cut that did. bit. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We were sitting in this restaurant. We were. We saw muggings while yeah, we were there. It was great. Yeah, like, we stayed at some crazy hotel, didn't we, all the mm. time that with a big guitar on? Oh no, a car on it. Um, yeah, Cadillac. Cadillac Hotel, hotel in, in LA. In Venice Beach. Venice Beach, yeah. yeah. We stayed, yeah. stayed And we there. went to Disneyland, which I was pretty excited about. Yeah. But that yeah. was a long time ago, uh, early 90s. And so. Yeah. And I bought my cowboy hat there, which is oh. featured in the um, One Step Forward film clip. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I was lining up behind um, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the, 
at, um, yeah, in what's the place? What's the pier called there? The Santa, Santa Monica. Monica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was in the in the queue before me. And he's a real short ass. Yeah, <laughs> but also we saw Sean Don't Penn. We saw yeah, Sean, Sean Penn, Penn while we were there. He too. dropped his American Express gold card, <laughs> <laughs> and I gave and it back to him. I want please. to say. Hey, so – oh, no, I'm not going to say Don't it. say it. Please don't say it. <laughs> right, but okay. it had to do with Talk, Madonna. No, you're like <laughs> <laughs> Stories. Um, the, but recently, not Popfest, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Maz does a great job. And I think one of the nicest things about Popfest was the mix of such new bands with, you know, older bands and, you know, everyone just – Getting on with it and enjoying each other—that was a really a nice a nice vibe. Yeah, there were was some good bands there, and and um, a plug to um, Young Romance we saw there, and they were great. Mercury Girls, Mercury Girls, Big oh, Quiet—they yeah. were awesome. Big Quiet, yes, they were good. Yeah, real good. <laughs> so yeah, lots of good bands. Yeah. All right. So my, my first question is always, tell me about when you first fell in love with music. Well, you know, we had little records when I was a little little kid records that um that told stories and had songs mm. on them do you remember that like yeah. the magic train and stuff yes and then it would say ding to turn the page but they yeah. were little seven inches yeah. and i think that's when i fell in love with seven inches listening to stories that had songs on them the magic train the magic mm-hmm. train will mm-hmm. take you on a high, or something like that yeah memories of kind of putting records onto a onto yeah. a but my yeah. mum used to listen to Inglebert humperdinck and Shirley Bassey, I used to love that. Yeah, for me, I think this was sort of going back to maybe the early 70s and he he scored high on his sales targets and he got this, um, as a prize, he was given this three-in-one, which is like a, um, you know, it's a a turntable cassette player radio combination, which must have had about five watts of power. Had no records in the house. He then went out and bought all these records, which were like, you know, Tijuana Brass and um, Nana Muscuri and Johnny Cash and Glenn Campbell. Andy Williams? We didn't have Andy Williams. We had but, a lot of but Andy we had, had a lot of really lame records. But, um, <laughs> and, and so I, I've kept a fondness for really lame records over the years. What about you, Rob? Uh, mine was uh, Sugar Sugar by the Archies. Oh, yeah. Because I, I was, I watched the Archies, and of course, my first love was Veronica. So, Sugar Sugar was Have my wa- song. But then, the the first time I fell in love with it was when my parents were out, and they had uh, Neil Diamond Hot August Night. Oh. So, I did the whole Hot August Night concert with tennis racket. Yeah. In the By yourself, nice By one. Myself. Yeah, yeah, no, air guitar in there. Yeah, the I don't, don't know how popular Hot August Night was in America, but in Australia. Couldn't go to a, a barbecue in the 1970s and not oh, shit. Sorry. Yep, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, so yeah, so that that was kind of constant background music. Hot August Night. Hot August Night in, in Australia in sort of the 70s, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And what a crap record it was, ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> again, you know, loved it. again, I've kept my fondness for crap records. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So when did you guys start first start playing music yourselves? I found an old guitar in the in the cupboard when I was oh, I must have been about twelve or something, and just sort of um, started pulling it out and and just making noises on it. And then for for because I, I was interested in the guitar, I think Christmas I got one of those little plywood guitars, which sounded horrible and had strings like cheese cutters. I played it um, at church yeah. in um, in mm. the rock in the rock masses. 
my my sister gave me my first guitar because she said that if I learned to play it, it would make me more attractive to women. <laughs> uh, but she was wrong. Um, That's not true. <laughs> but I played bass because um, this this um, bunch of guys at uni we got invited to play at this thing called the Wollongong Cup, which was basically at this Wollongong University. You just sat around playing weird games and smoking dope, and they wanted a band. And um, so we just thought we'd form one. And uh, we did Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Moe, and I lost, so I, so I had to play bass instead of guitar yeah. in this band. And, um, yeah, the rest is history. I realised because there's less strings, it was much easier. That's always the attraction of the bass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also did a lot of Gilbert and Sullivan at school. Mm. That's where I got my singing. I want to hear more oh. about the rock masses. Oh. <laughs> 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 was- my my parents were. Very oh, did you hear rock masses? I think she meant black masses. No, no, that's, <laughs> my parents are very religious, and we had to go to church, and um, yes, so I every it was usually Saturday afternoon was rock mass. Saturday evening, I wasn't doing the playing the guitar. I was doing liturgical dances up on the altar. <laughs> 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 to Kate, not to Kate Bush, to um, to like to Bette Midler's "The Rose." Oh, no! Nice. Yeah. yeah, some say love it is a river that drowns. That's beautiful. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> I don't know anyone who's ever taken part in a rock mass. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do now. <laughs> I don't do it anymore, although I am open. If yeah, absolutely. absolutely. There's big money in it. Yeah, it'd be huge in Nashville. I mean, it's all about Christian yes. music here. <laughs> so tell me about Even As We Speak coming together as a band then. Okay. Before Even As We Speak, I was in a um, sort of an 80s synth pop sort of group that I was doing doing bass in, and then that sort of broke up. So started in band in about 1986, and we had – this weird, I had this weird idea to start a cow punk band. So I started it with some friends. Can you explain cow punk a bit? Cow punk is is a music music form that strangely didn't last. Yeah, sure. for some reason it was big in Sydney for a brief fleeting moment and it involved um, playing country music with loud distorted guitars and screaming. Like the birthday party? Yeah, a bit like the birthday party only with country. Okay. Doom, 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 doom. <laughs> yeah, so it was an art form that was too fleeting. <laughs> but um, in, a, in any event, I think I only managed to write about one. At that point, we were then sort of starting to get influenced by um, New Zealand bands, like the Flying Nun bands in particular. At this point, Matt was the only member of the band and yeah. it was just him. And Yes, so, so Mary joined at that point and we were pretty much doing the, the short, sharp DIY sort of punk pop stuff and we did a few um, singles around that. I think the inspiration for that was just kind of, I think, which is close to Australia, had a lot of unemployment, so there were a lot of New Zealanders coming over to... Australia and Sydney in particular, and Neil, who was in the band, was from New Zealand, and then I had lots of flatmates who were all to be just getting this a lot of this flying nun 
stuff which we kind of picked up on, which no one else in Sydney really picked up on at the time. And that was really sort of early, early, you know, what what you now call indie pop, but they didn't really call it indie pop then. It was, I don't know what they called it back then. Nothing really. They didn't really have a name. It was, you know, and yeah, we just kept doing that. And then eventually, as they say, we got noticed doing. Yeah, got noticed by yeah. by John Peel, I guess, and then that led yeah. us to get the Sarah. Yeah. So because we we went over to the UK, so at some point Mary and I went to the so well at some point it was eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eight, we went and lived in the UK for a year, did the recording. Um, nothing ever happens, and another song called A Stranger Calls, and but but we'd done something before that. We'd done the Blue Suburban Skies Bizarre Love Triangle single. Um, interest in the UK, but it was before the age of the internet, so you didn't know if your music was doing well or not. You just kind of pressed 500 copies of a single, and um, if you didn't have any left under the bed, it was a good sign. It it was actually getting a lot of interest over there, and then uh, we went over there in 88, and there was probably some interest in the band then, but even then we weren't aware of it, and we were just over there and did some recording and after about a year, came back to Australia again and did... That's well, when Robin, Robin and Anita joined. Yeah, Robin and Anita joined at that point and we started becoming a good live band at that sort of point. And um, then... Because of Rob's all experience with the bass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so we, we did that and then, then the... Um, but then at that point, because there was always a time lag between Australia and the UK, which was typically, you know, three to six months... So we're on to our next stuff, and then the previous single got picked up by John Peel, being, you know, obviously keeping an eye on us, and um, he decided that was the one he was going to plug, and then that got us onto Sarah Records. Which one was this? This was Go So Slow was the first one that he played, and then that sing- single, Go So Slow, and the one before it, which was Blue Suburban Skies, they on Sarah Records as the Nothing Ever Happens 7-inch. So, so once John Peel picked us up, some people got onto us and said, "Hey, we can tee you up with some these Sarah people who we didn't know about." And um, yeah, they they wanted to re-release those early singles. So, so that our first Sarah record was a re-release of our previous two singles that were, I think, one of them was on Phantom Records. And the- yeah, one of the first yeah. things I ever bought on eBay back in like 2000 or something was the uh, Outgrown This Town 12 inch. I was oh, like, yeah, psyched to finally the, get that it. Was the- that was the first record Anita and I played on. Yeah. So that was recorded. Matt and I were listening to that last night, bits we were talking about it last night, because that had a, quite a different feel to it. It had a bit of a Sydney kind of vibe to it, So, which I guess came from Anita and I, made part of the, the complexion of the, the band. But I remember when um, John Peel asked us to do a Peel session in, in England because we were at we were all sitting around at Matt and Mary's house and um, and the phone rang and it was about 11 o'clock at night or something and uh, Mary picked up the phone and uh, it was classic uh, Australian because she just goes, yeah, yeah, you're shitting me. I, <laughs> I don't remember this. And then we were all looking at her and she goes, it's John Peel. But it wasn't John Peel. Well, it was his... Production people. Yeah, I don't remember this. Yeah, you picked up the phone. Right. And then, yeah, and we said, you said they want us to do a peel session whenever we're in the UK. And then we all said, right, we're off. What was it like doing those sessions? Oh, it was so much fun. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and it was a big, 
big deal, but again, we, we were kind of blissfully ignorant of a lot of what the music industry was about back then because Australia was just very remote before the age of the internet and, you know, we knew John Peel was... The the most I knew about John Peel was that some Australian bands, Triffids and the Go-Betweens, had done uh, Peel sessions. And so um, that's what we knew of John Peel. But then, you know, later came to pass that his, his sessions were actually broadcast to about 2 million people across Europe, which, again, we didn't know because we would have just absolutely shat ourselves if we'd known they were <laughs> people. Yeah, that um, was about the population of Sydney at the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so so again we were sort of ignorant and we went, just went in and, and um, you know, we, we did a bit of rehearsal and, uh, you know, we didn't didn't do a shonky job or anything, but again, you know, we did the first one and he, he liked that, obviously, because we kept getting invited back after that. Yeah. Um, and then we we met him on, on an occasion and that was a heap of fun. We went in, at the Phoenix Festival. Oh, we went and had lunch with him. At yeah, his we house. had lunch. There's that picture in the Sarah book of you guys and him and the dog yeah, and he, the football. Is that in his backyard? Yeah, yeah. He, he was like... a mad keen football player, so we um he insisted when we went out to visit him that we had a a game of soccer, which none of us could play. What's this thing? English people in sport, because we did this like we played in this town called Hull in England, which is like way up in the north. We always say we went to Hull and back. Um, but um, that, like we, and and the promoter of the Adelphi Club put us up in his club for the night, which was a mistake. But anyway, <laughs> um, but the next morning we had to go and play cricket because it's kind of like just assume that all Australians can play cricket, but we hadn't got a clue. So. <laughs> I was in the girls' cricket team at high school. Wow. Yeah, Mary was also school captain. Yeah, <laughs> and and a rock mass. And, and did did. <laughs> Did rock mass, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Gilbert so, and Sullivan. Yeah, I, I was just, I was just a sulky teenager in stuff. So, so yeah, there's a bit of a, a, um, a contrasting personality types there. Yeah, yeah, well, I didn't know Mary's backstory because when I met her, she was a punk. It was a music. I had a, I had a red mohawk when I met yeah. Rob. Nice. Because yeah. I was answering an ad to for a share house. Yeah, and we place. we took her because she came in and went, yeah, yeah. And then walked out. We said, "Yep, yeah, okay, you can move in." <laughs> I don't com- remember that completely either. indifferent. And then, but the only the saving grace because then Mary and Matt kind of went overseas, and I hadn't seen Mary for a while. But um, and I'd been overseas myself for a while, and then we came back, and so they wanted a bass player and a drummer. Contacted me somehow. It wasn't uh, via Facebook either. No, no, I don't Facebook. know how you contacted me. But anyway, then. But the only reason I went along was because when we were living in the share house together, the one thing we had in common was that um, we'd put on um, Bruce Springsteen, um, yes. Thunder Road. And so I thought, oh, well, yeah, it can't be bad. I'll go and see what this band's about. So that's how, how come I decided to go and audition. To my great disappointment, we've never done a cover of Thunder Road. But uh, you, you never know. You should have joined my band, Her Name in Lights, because we did mm. Bruce Springsteen cover. Oh, okay. Did you? What did you do? The river. Oh, nice. Classic, classic, classic Bruce. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about writing "Go So Slow." Go so slow. Um, so that was was about a. Um, I wrote about an ex girlfriend. You know, it's really set in my mind in the particular house where we sort of stayed for a bit that belonged to someone else, and it was one of those sort of bohemian, you know, sort of sort of places where everything was a kind of disorganised and with furniture but a lot of art 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, and it was on a very busy road. Yeah, so that that's basically what it was about. But a, a lot of the songs, particularly, you know, from that sort of era, I used to sort of have a feeling about something and then I'll just try and find words that match the feeling, you know, and so sometimes they're quite literal and then other times they're kind of just, you know, they're, they're just sort of words that just seem to, to feel with that emotion, you know, so I think there's a lot of that in it as well. What about Blue Suburban Skies, another song from that era? Um, yeah, that, that's very much a, um, a, you know, similar sort of thing, you know, it's sort of part part fact, part fiction, you know, and the Blue Suburban Skies thing, it, it's sort of, you know, Beatles sort of, Penny Lane sort of, you know, they're beneath the Blue Suburban sky. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever been, been to Australia, it, it's got lots of suburbs. It's it's like, if you've seen Neighbours, it's like that, <laughs> you know. Home away. Lots and lots of suburbs. And, um, yeah, so it was kind, kind of feeds into that sort of, notional idea as well you know so a lot, a lot of different ideas all just crossing over so what made you decide to cover bizarre love triangle oh that was, oh, that was me idea. yeah that was my first um kind of contribution to the band i guess i hadn't been in the band that long and i was in a relationship that was a very bad relationship that was a bizarre love triangle and so it was kind of like our song this guy's and my song and so I just decided oh well but it's been a constant source of angst ever since yeah it has been <laughs> that I find very difficult to let go of what is just the the song itself a long-standing feud with Frente and um I was going to ask <laughs> like two years later another Australian band just covers this in a similar it wasn't even two years later it was quite a few yeah. years later because we did it in 87 Oh. And I don't think it was till the early 90s. Yeah, all right, yeah. The thing with that is that when Mary did it, she got the verses wrong, um, <laughs> if you listen to the original record, and um, and it just so happens that Frente got the verses wrong in exactly the same no, way. No, I don't think they did. They did. Mm-hmm. I'll have so to listen to that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and then it's, it's a cover anyway, and anyone's entitled to do it. That, that wouldn't have been a problem. What was a problem was that they – then started running around lying about it. Yeah, so I met met them at at a dinner and just after we put it out and Angie was like, oh, my God, Simon, this is Mary, you know, this is Mary who, you know, did that Bizarre Love Triangle that's on the radio. Um, We loved that song. And then when they put it out, in actual fact, I was really drunk one night, depressed, at, at, at a Frente gig and, you know, against the bar and going, oh, Oh, I, I like this song. Hang on a minute, that's my song. <laughs> no. And um and went up to her and said, What the hell? And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then it, it's a lie, we never heard your version, you know, you know. Mm. It, it was a bit silly because then, you know, I started arguing about it in the newspapers, you know. <laughs> so no, I think it was valid because again, we wouldn't have had an issue if they just said, Oh, um, this is an even as we speak version of a new order song. I mean, we're we didn't want money. We didn't no. get our version first, and we're inspired by it. But yeah. No, they yeah. weren't going to. Not no. that we're bitter already. I'm bitter. I'll tell you right now, I'm bitter. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your thoughts on Sarah Records 20-plus years later? Yeah, look, Sarah Records are, are um, um, 
there's kind of a, I've got two two, <laughs> two, two thoughts going at once, and on the, on the one hand, I, I love Sarah Records and I love what they do, but at the same time, you know, I don't like down as a Sarah Records band because a lot of the stuff we did that was Sarah Records re- releases was done before Sarah Records, and then a lot of the stuff that we did on we were kind of. A, a bit more experimental than your typical Sarah band, and so we love what they what they've done, and we love love the Sarah bands. At the same time, you know, I I, I kind of feel I don't want to be pigeonholed because I think we've got a lot mm. more. Yeah, it was quite, it was interesting because when when we released stuff through them, like as Matt said earlier, that that in Australia we didn't know anything about them; they were just this name. So there was no connection when we released anything to that whole. That was happening then, which, you know, the press hated it in England, like which we realised when we got over there. But because so it was actually quite a shock to us to do the first Peel session and, and sort of that turned up to do this first gig and there was basically Sarah Records fans at the gig. And um, so and we didn't even realise that that was a thing, you know. So it was a, a so, sort of like for us it was just we were so far removed from it initially. Mm. And until we we got over there and and were, were doing it, we didn't really know so, what it was yeah. about. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that, they all kind of dressed the same and had the same haircut too. And, well, it was a movement, sort of but I think yeah. we always felt like yeah. the naughty kids, the naughty kids on the label. Yeah, um, we wanted to call the um, first EP anarachnophobia, <laughs> but we uh, we weren't allowed to. Oh no. <laughs> very grateful for what you know. Like we're on, yeah. we wouldn't we wouldn't have just done the tour we just did without. Yeah. Um, yeah. What Sarah Records was offered. Yeah, it's an interesting legacy uh, and it's art, really, in a way. Mm. The the whole thing mm. that they did, and so you've got to respect that. Yeah. And um, but, but yeah. at the same time, you know, Sarah Records wasn't the only great label we've ever been on. You know, we were on Phantom Records, and Phantom Records, for, from an Australian perspective, is a great label. They had people like the Sunny Boys and the Hoodoo Gurus and the Hummingbirds, the hummingbirds and you know, so a lot of great great Australian bands came out of the Phantom Records label and um, we're on Phantom Records, did a, did a couple, two or three records with Phantom. And Outgrown This Town. Outgrown This Town was yeah. Phantom Record and, you know, and um, the Go So Slow got picked up and re-released on Sarah. So, so we're, you know, you could just as easily say, even as we speak, a Phantom Records band as a Sarah Records. So we've really got an interesting... Um, you know, indie pop history because we've been tied, been linked to some some really good labels over the over the time we've been together. You know, and and now we're with Emotional Response, who and, are and fantastic. Also, just a fantastic label, and that you know, and in fact, my feeling is I'd rather see people getting kind Emotional Response than Sarah because Emotional Response is current. You know, it's doing stuff now and it's releasing new bands and new and interesting indie music at the moment. Fair Pop Frenzy was. Made for Sarah, right? Uh, yeah, that was that was made for Sarah. The the story we'd released those earlier Sarah those earlier seven inches on Sarah, but by that stage we'd kind of moved on from that that um, particular style of music because we were always fairly restless and always trying new styles and new ideas, and I was sort of hunting around for new ideas, new inspiration. You know, we had had some good opportunities that were developing then because we were getting doing good live shows and getting getting a bit of a name for ourselves at least locally and you know 
you guys had moved to the UK again at this point. Um, we were in Sydney at the time. We did Feral Pop Frenzy, but oh. we'd just done a tour before Feral Pop Frenzy, so we knew there was all this interest, and we'd done our first Peel sessions then. So we were kind of very uh, in terms of where we were were going, what opportunities. Also, Julian and I were both working at a TV station, ABC, in Sydney, and so we were able to um, commandeer a lot of equipment, and um, we were able to get good roping good local people to help us on this project because we were getting a bit of a buzz. And um, I was actually, um, I was on the train on the way to work and I was listening to Camper Van Beethoven thinking of, you know, what's, a, what's going to be a good good direction. And I, I was listening, in particular, I was listening to the way they were using sort of folk instruments in, uh, if you know Camper oh, yeah. Van, bringing a lot of, lot of different instrumentation. And, and from that that sort of point it occurred to me well you know we really just need to stop having a, a stop stop looking for a sound or a direction and just do everything and do it in a very spontaneous way and so the the idea was to have no real filters on what we were doing so there's really no editing in feral everything that came into our heads would do it and at that particular point in time we just happened to have the the skill base to carry it off as well and so would think of stuff and then we'd just record it and, and nothing was thrown away, you know, so the whole of Feral Pop Frenzy, there's no, nothing was discarded. It was on the principle that everything, so you have all these weird interludes and, you know, and it was also cobbling together different technologies. We were sort of interested in um, recording was just sort of the first issue, the first release of um, Pro Tools had just come out on and it cost $20,000 and was slow and didn't work properly, but from that, I think Julian and I in particular could say we're looking at it going, well, you know, the, fu the future of music is non-linear, you know, and so Feral sounds like it was done on Pro Tools or something, but it's really just tends to move everything everywhere in a, in a very non-linear way. Yeah, and what it meant for us was that we could, um, like, record a really beautiful pop song and then we would then sit around and say, well, how can we stuff this up? <laughs> and um, so that, hence we put the weird middle bit mm. in to sort of break it down. And that that's kind of was – we were able to do all of that stuff. So it was – I remember because we recorded some of it in a sort of basement studio at the time with a sort of little electronic studio, and it would be a case of in the middle of the night or something, you'd just kind of go, well, yeah, why don't we, why don't we stick a – an accordion in there or something, you know, mm. and uh, and so you get the, the the sampler out and, and dial and up. Your and again, we, we wouldn't edit if someone had an idea. Then it just went in, you know. It wasn't like, oh, is that a good idea or not? It was like, yeah, we had the idea. Now we've got to went regardless, you know. So if someone thought of accordion or, you know, um, Bavarian beer hall or whatever yeah. came into our heads or banjos or whatever, it just it just went in without without yeah. question. And and. With um, something like um, One Step Forward, the end end of that, because we, we, we actually had played that song live a few times and um, before we recorded it, and it, like it was just a sort of drum rolly thing uh, towards the end, and we tried to do that um, in this little kind of weird studio, digital studio, and we were using Triggered. It had this sort of quantizing on it, and because we couldn't play the ending sort of really quite in time, <laughs> It all got shifted around. We had, 
God, what happened to that? And it went, yeah, yeah, that's great. Let's leave it like that. So then Anita had to go back and learn how to play that guy. <laughs> so it was quite quite interesting. And and the same with the bass. I had to go and learn how to play it because it was all out of out of what was a normal time. But yeah, you know, a record that was a bit ahead of its time in a lot of ways. But at its heart, it's still pop music. You know, there's still pop songs in there, and and we write pop. You know, and and I think that it's got those sort of elements that make it work. You know, that it's still got some good songs and some good hooks in there. You know, it's the creative process without without being limited, without being arbitrarily limited by what you think you should or shouldn't do. You know, and so for, to my mind, it's a purer record. It's a purer because it's not edited. It's not not held back. Let's talk about some of the songs. Drown is a perfect pop song drown yeah yeah um yes mary <laughs> i used to write a lot of songs about mary oh is that about me well, most of them were at that time so it's in one way or another it was it was kind of um yeah it was yeah. kind of like like matt played the played that to us acoustically you know just comes in it was a straight strumming thing but i don't know someone just said said something about disco and and then julian suddenly getting barry white samples and yeah it turned into a kind of let's let's do this sort of mirabolly kind of uh a version of of the song and um and that's sort of what we did really and it was was kind of um there's this kind of like it's all it was funnily enough i think the whole thing came because julian found like we're schoolboys at heart. Found a Barry White sample that, where he says, "You know, <laughs> I don't want to see no panties," and um, and so we love that line because we're basically schoolboys, and um, <laughs> and that's why we did. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the the songs were just sort of um, they're pretty much all just written on on guitar as um just as you would any other pop song and then i think once we got into the production process they'd just go in whatever direction they went in you know how about love is the answer another one of my favorites love is the answer. okay well that's a bit um i think that one was more just written around a um you know i had a, a this sort of bouncy chord progression and i i think i just kind of found words to fit the those particular chords and yeah, I think that's pretty much all, all it was to it. You know, it was just something that that I just came up with some words that fit. But then, with the banana splits bit at the end, that was just another one of those things where someone had an idea and then we were just bound to do it. Yeah, the I liked it because it had because um, at the end of the chorus is of each chorus, um, I get to play uh, the Beatles Revolution riff. So that's what I liked about it. And then that kind of morphed into the banana split, and somebody said, "You're playing the banana splits." Um, and I went, "No, I'm not. I'm playing Revolution by the Beatles." And they said, "No, it's the banana splits." So in the end, they both got a Guernsey in there. Yeah. So, yeah. so someone said banana splits, and then we just had to do. Yeah. Banana then we went. Yep. Yeah, banana splits. Okay. Well, we better do it then. The mm. way we went. So. Nice. <laughs> How about straight as an arrow? Um, straight as an arrow is about a cat. We had, uh, Mary and I had a very nasty... Cat called Wanda. A cat called Wanda. Yeah, that, cat, that was also, Matt just nope. played something and Anita and I just were mucking around with bass and drums oh. at the stage So because we, we wanted to... Yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. 
and, that, and ly- lyric, funky. yeah, and lyrically, I think the the you can't believe everything you read is just a reference to the kitty litter box. Here's <laughs> <laughs> the crap on the newspaper. <laughs> you, you wish you didn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of gets rid of the mystique, doesn't it? Totally. <laughs> but that cat, that cat, one night we woke up, this breeze went through the house, we don't know why, and we woke up and the cat, Wanda, was dead on the end of the bed. Honestly, she was stiff as a board. And we picked her up and we were like, oh, Wanda's dead. Mm. And then her tail started to move and she came back to life. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just about to get the shovel and bury it. <laughs> wow. I swear. So we had to, to keep away the evil spirits after that because something weird went down in that house that night. Some bad mojo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so next is the uh, Blue Eyes Deceiving Me EP. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's about me too. Yeah, that's about, about me. me. That's no, well, that's, it is, but it's also about me too because the it's really a song about self-deception. You know that the blue eyes deceiving me are my eyes. I'm, you know, so it's really, um, you know, yeah, uh, that's really it in the simplest form. It, it's it's sort of designed to uh, ostensibly it looks like a song about someone deceiving you, but it's really a song about deceiving yourself. What I love about that EP is. All three songs are very, very pop, but each in their own style. Yeah. Again, it's the, the thing of not being bound by about who you should be or what you should be or um, why you should be doing something a particular way. Uh, I think all those sort of arbitrary who we are and what we are and what we stand for, all those ideas are really, really just false, really. And by having those ideas about ourselves and what we should be doing, what kind of band we are, what kind of songwriter, all those ideas you really just need to abandon to really get to a, a truer expression, you know. And so if it sounds good and feels good, well, then, um, you know, my view is, well, that's enough, you know, that's enough if it feels good. Follow it through to the end, you know. And, and you don't always end up with something great out of that process. Sometimes you, you do end up with some stuff that's pretty terrible. But, you know, out of that, you get the happy accidents and the, the, the nice surprises come out of it, but you never get those nice surprises, preconceived idea of who you are or what you're about. Yeah. We recorded that one in Under the Flight Path. Yeah, we it recorded. Kind of a, it was a weird recording setup where we did that, actually, yeah. not something we're used to. actually like the Peel session version better than the one that we recorded. Like the studio had a bit of a funny vibe about it and it was, you know, it was sort of under a flight path and the... The um, people doing the engineering, we didn't kind of connect with very well. You know, it was um, because we're, when we're in the studio, we tend to just be very hands-on and we tend to just take over, which the the Peel session people found to their surprise is that we basically moved into the BBC. And um, when we got to uh, this um, this particular studio where we, we um, recorded that, it was one of those... The owner is the engineer, and he won't let anyone touch the touch the board, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. So, so there was kind of a lot of friction from from day from the outset. So, I just felt there was a lot of vibe in the in the studio. But we got some good stuff out of it, nevertheless. Yeah. We just pushed on, but it, it was um, 
yeah, but that that tends to be the way we work because we're very hands-on in our recording process. You know, Julian does the producer sort of role and, and, you know, at the moment he does the engineering as well. Yeah, it's just the way we work, but it didn't kind of gel with the way we worked that studio. So, yeah, I prefer the Peel Session version. Okay. Tell me about Getting Faster. I mean, it's just so energetic. It is. It's, it's one the, of my favourite ones to do live. Yeah, it does work really well live. It's It's very... Punk. I think maybe the frenetic punk sort of words are, are very, very, you know, um, the lyrics are very, you know, what could we say? I'm try, trying not to say negative, but the, the lyrics are very... Um, anarchist. Anarchist, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. and, uh, and so I think the punk thing sort of is really a, the, the, the frenetic feel of it really plays off that sort of the, the lyrical vibe of it. But it's a good thing when together that well. You know? mm. And when you write songs too, sometimes you, you just, uh, some things just just work, you know, and and things just, just can um, uh, come to you in surprising ways if you let them, you know, and and occasionally you get something like that where the, the parts just go together really well, you know, and I, I think Blue Eyes Deceiving Me is another one that work, whereas other songs, you know, they can still be good songs, but you have to um, work them to kind of make them make them happen. But some sometimes you get the words and the, the chords and the, the melody and they just kind of a glue that just makes them all, all work well together and, and you can't predict it. It just have to keep writing songs and you know there's a percentage that's a good hit hit rate you know <laughs> so yeah the, the other one on the ep oh you find is there anything to say about that one yeah that one um yeah in one of my more depressive moods um <laughs> let me just think through the word uh, it's very the sound is very smooth i mean you got yeah. that sample right from the beginning yeah yeah it was the the chords are major seventh which are a favourite chord of mine that when you're throwing a major seventh, it gives this sort of this um, this mellow lushness as far as chords go. And, but then a lot of the, with the saxophone part of it, that was, came about because the, um, so we had this idea that would, uh, so we brought in um, uh, Hurdy Gurdy player, what's her name, Stevie? Stevie Wishart, Stevie played Wishart. Hurdy Gurdy on some of our Peel sessions. And then uh, younger youth, we got to do a uh, section sort of to toasting thing, it's not rapping, it's toasting or something. Yeah. And um, we had um, Louise, Elliott. Louise Elliott, who's from the Laughing Clowns, the Ed Cooper band, who went through um, other bands that he'd played in previously. And so she's she was a we called her in initially to do the peels session one we thought oh well this is kind of a bit mellow we might go a bit of a mellow she's a fantastic sax player so once she started playing it was like well we'll just let her <laughs> play over the whole lot then because it, she just seemed to know what she was doing and so um so i think it was initially done on a peel session and then we got her in again to record is that mm. right yeah that's right yeah that's right and uh, the, we're doing a different version of it now because we don't have a sax player in the band. <laughs> and so we're, we've been doing it live with more of a vocal, sort of uh, more vocals in it. and Getting after all these years that Anita can sing. So we've been making her get up 
from behind the drums and come out the front and sing. She hates it, though. She keeps trying to sneak away from the microphone when you're not looking. So. I don't think she hates it. I think she likes it. I think she's just a bit embarrassed, but yeah. she's really good. We just keep having to call her back. Uh, like yesterday, we were trying to get her to sing on something, and every time I looked around, she was, Anita, Anita, back. But you know, Anita and I have a, have a, have, we have our a little side project that we do. We haven't done it for ages, yeah. but um, we did a couple of songs years years ago called Under the Name Singing Bush, which is a terrible name. But yeah, we're going to do some songs together soon, and she's going to sing them. So excellent. So yeah, tell me about getting back together recently. How that came about? You know, we we talked about this in a couple of. Um, interviews we've done recently and I don't think any of us have got it right how it actually happened Mm -hmm. I think we just got we I was overseas I lived in the Middle East for five years and when I got back I think we decided to put the Peel sessions out that's how I think it worked Mm -hmm. and so we got together and did a gig for the first time in ages together um to kind of promote the Peel sessions I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure that that's how it happened and then after that Matt and I had a significant birthday that we decided to do it have a shared birthday and played at that. But, you know, during that time is when and Pop Kiss, the book, came out, you know, so the doco and the book. Then there was kind of like interest in Sarah bands who might still be playing and because we'd done these couple of gigs, people contacted us to come over and do Pop Fest. We couldn't do it the first year that he asked us, but we could do it um, with what ended 2016. 2016, the last one. Well, anyway, it stopped for the moment, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and so that's that's and kind of it. I mean, I guess yeah, there was interest, so well, we kept we, going. We had some songs oh, that's and true, yeah. we, we actually recorded those before Pop Fest. We just sort of, because I was... We think you had some old songs? No, yeah, there were new ones. Yeah, new ones. there were some new ones, but when you say new, we hadn't played together for... So, yeah. so you know, some of them... At home, I, I typically have a cardboard box full of full of song lyrics and things. So I tend to write things and throw them in the box, and so some of them might might have been decades old. But lyric box and pulled out some songs, and um, and the idea was because no one had any time because everyone still everyone's kids was still you know quite young and um, um, you know work commitments and all that sort of stuff. So I thought well. You know, we used to do peel sessions in a day, so why don't we just get everyone together on a on a day or two and just just knock out some stuff really fast, like it's a peel session. And so that was the idea. So I the songs, and then we came into um, Macquarie Studios and um, knocked them out in a day. But then then we didn't have time to do anything with them after that. So then they sat there for a long time. Then we did the New York Pop Fest. From Popfest, I think that was then the inspiration to sort of mix them and release them, and then I think also emotional response. Yeah, Stuart, emotional, emotional response. response. Stu was like, "Let's, you know, let's do some stuff." Yeah, and and I, I think Stu needs to be given credit because the a lot of the fact that we're doing stuff now is because Stu was interested in 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 us and wanted to put stuff out, and the recent tour that he. You know, he and and, and Jen, Jen uh, organised it. It's just fantastic, and you know, I don't the, think we've ever had someone do so much yeah, for us. Yeah. They are yeah. just really good people who who love music and and just you know, and they they like what we do, and so they um you know, and friends as well, but uh, they love what we do, and so um you know, without them, I don't think we'd be doing this at no. the moment. Tell me about the recent tour. I mean, it seemed fantastic. I really wish I could have been in the UK this oh. summer. 
It was so much fun. That was amazing. I think yeah. it was also fun, you know, just because when we were younger, you know, we had all our tensions and, you know, carry on when we were, you know. This time we just, and at Pop Fest in New York as well, we just had fun being together and just hanging out together. Plus, you know, we didn't really know. We knew Boy Racer quite well. Well, we knew Stu, but we didn't know the other members of Boy Racer actually and mm. we'd never met Action Painting. We played with Secret Shine at New York Pop Fest, so we knew them a little bit. But we all just clicked and it was just fun kind of hanging out mm. with them and, yeah. you know, performing every night and going yeah. out afterwards and getting drunk and stuff. You know. Yeah, it was it was just uh, yeah it was just a heap of fun. But then also the social media's made it just a very different world, you know. Feedback. So you do the gig, and then the next day there's all these photos on the on the internet. Yeah, it was like we'd be asleep. Just, like Anita and I slept in a lot of rooms together, and we'd be asleep, and then we'd wake up, and you'd go, oh, "How many people have liked me today?" Yeah. <laughs> like, but then you know the the other thing was the amount of love that was coming our way. You know, it was just really really amazing and you know it just made us all feel so good that people just kept coming up to us all night long going we love what you do well you know because honestly we don't get any of that in Australia or from our friends and our friends and family love us but you know yeah and so it was just amazing too that there was so so I was amazed to see just all these people crowded in just hanging out and uh, you know one moment for me was when we did the um uh, Indie Tracks Festival with that great big barn of people and, you know, I looked out there and there were all the people sort of... Mouthing know, the words. Mouthing the words. They all knew like, the words and it was, it was you know, it was like, you know, it was just, just there's nothing like it, you know. You just get, so you, you know, I, I think I wish everyone could once in their life sort of sort of know what it's like to go out on this stage and all these people are cheering and it's, it's just such it's quite an, addictive. Ama- it's an amazing feeling, <laughs> you know. It's an amazing feeling. There's nothing like it. and Especially if you're wearing a spacesuit. And if you're wearing a spacesuit, it just adds to the surreal nature, <laughs> but, but fun, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I saw the uh, the set list for the Lexington gig, and you guys covered Pristine Christine. Well, what, the, what happened, that was really, the our cover that we were going to do is was ELO, Don't Bring Me Down, which we really quite like doing. Mm. We were going to do it that night, and rest of the band members off but we we um we like halfway through that set I think maybe boy race were on stage and we were like you know Claire and Matt were there from Sarah and we were just Mm. like we we kind of talked Secret Shine kind of knew it because they'd done it in the past but we just didn't get the chance to kind of make it a reality so I just went up to all the different bands and said we should do it let's just do it pristine christine and then dean was like well can we do pristine christine first and so it was honestly that much and that's why if you see in the videos dean he's got his he gave his phone to me but i need my glasses and so all the video footage i'm kind of like looking (laughs) trying to see the words he's saying seeing i'm like i can't see the words and everyone just kind of jumped up and grabbed different things and those who didn't had cameras and stuff that it was just kind of like i just don't know how elo is going to go down after this You just couldn't top it. It was just it was just the perfect note to end. I asked um, Ulrich from Turntable Friend, you know, I said, we were going to do ELO. Do you think we should have? He just went, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. Bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> if ELO ever wants to give us the support, we'll happily yeah. do it. Yeah. Do you guys do any other covers? 
occasionally, we're, once all our friends just told us never to do it again. Do you remember Susie Quattro? Yeah. We did Devil Gate Drive. Devil Gate Drive. And everyone came up after the gig and went, oh, don't do that again. Oh. We did um, Suzanne, Leonard Cohen's Suzanne for a while. Yeah, yeah. They're the main ones yeah. I remember. Yeah, oh, and we used to do Neighbours by The Bats. Oh, I yeah. still like doing that. Yeah, we, and occasional covers of um, uh, Flying Nun Band mm. songs, you know, because, they, again, they were sort of our inspiration early on. So I think we did. That's Neighbours, yeah. Na- neighbours, but I think we did. Did the others, didn't we do some clean songs? Yeah, or? probably. Probably, but. Not so many. I think when people, when you go over there, people don't really want to see you doing covers. Maybe they no. want to see Bizarre Love Triangle every now and then. Yeah, of course, that's the that's the main cover, yeah. But uh, covers sort of a cover at the moment because we've got a bit of um, a legacy of, of um, songs that people want to hear and people don't come to see an even as we speak show so we can play, you know, Susie Quattro Springsteen as much as we'd love to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Drown didn't get a look in at quite a few of those gigs when people were upset. So, you know, that's a, a lot of people have said they wanted to see Drown and it was one that we find it hard to sing the high bits. So you're in the studio now working on new material. What's yep. coming? Oh, well, it's a, um, um, how would you describe it? It's, it's an album. Really concentrating on doing an album as a, opposed to um, singles as such. So they're all connected, but we've sort of, we're, it's really more, um, it's a slower record, so it's it's quite slow, it's quite moody, it's, it's still got pop elements in it, but it's a bit of a darker record in, in a lot of ways. Um, it's going to have, um, you know, it's going to have a lot of the stuff you expect. It's, it's kind of got a very different feel and, Again, it's about being sort of honest about, you know, who we are and um, so it's very much about the concerns that we have, you know, at our particular. So it's very much the concerns that you'd have of middle-aged people, you know, and so <laughs> um, so it makes it a kind of a, um, a very different record. But again, as I say, it's about being honest and doing a record that that's really um, true. You know, and, and if anything, I think the lyrically, I think the lyrics are a lot more truthful, if not a bit rawer in some ways, and more personal perhaps. Music is still fairly adventurous and it's still sort of pushing towards experimental territory. So does that sum it up? Yeah. How close are you to finishing it? Probably by the end of this weekend we'll have tracked up maybe about eight eight tracks but we're typically we hope to have be in mixing stage in about january february next year um but part of the reason it's taking longer is that i'm you know a thousand i tend to be demoing stuff in my home studio and then sending it down to sydney and then we we all then i have to fly down we all hook up at the studio for a weekend and and record so that makes it a bit more of a drawn out process we're looking for a release about the middle of next year. So my final interview question is always, say you had stolen a space shuttle and we're flying it directly into the sun. What would you want to be listening to? Oh, because we're going to die. Oh. In a blaze uh, of glory. Blaze of glory. Yeah. No, no question. 
Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just thinking it would have to be some of that uh, David Bowie sort of um, early '70s, you know, um, Heroes or Suffragette City or something like that. One of those really rocky, rocky ones. That'd be awesome, you know. Actually, though, because you'd have sparks yeah. flying off, <laughs> speakers would be rocking, you know. You'd have the bass t- bass woofer in the back of your yeah. But you yeah. know, there is one even as we speak song that now that I would like to listen to at that yes. point. But yeah. it's off the new album, so I can't kind of really say. It's secret. Yeah. Oh, wow. No one's ever said a song that isn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was great. We covered a lot of history there. I'll be posting some video clips in the show notes and other links. The video for Drown is awesome, and that's one of my favorite songs of all time. At their Bandcamp, evenaswespeak.bandcamp.com, there's the 25th anniversary remaster of Feral Pop Frenzy, along with Yellow Food, the Peel Sessions Collection, and their 2017 EP, The Black Forest. Definitely check that one out. They've still got it. Emotional Response also put out a four-band comp for that Sarah tour this summer, which has two Even As We Speak songs on it, Stay With Me, which I love, and Football Star. And their own website is evenaswespeak.com. Some news from me. I've mentioned Young Southpaw before, my comedy persona. The Young Southpaw Part of an Hour podcast is going strong, and you can find it at youngsouthpaw.com, along with the At The Movies album. I've started performing as Young Southpaw, and I love it, and I'll be in Asheville, North Carolina on October 25th, and Durham, North Carolina on the 26th. I'm looking to book dates in the Northeast, in Boston, New York, Connecticut, for December and January, and I'm always up for doing gigs anywhere, so get in touch if you've got anything. Check out the show notes for this Counterforce episode at thecounterforce.net. And I'm going to leave you now with one of the perfect pop songs, Even As We Speak's Drown.
You've missed out some water.